0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Okay. So, Zoe and I... We're in Venice this week, oh, you know, in between that we're going to Barcelona on Wednesday. Little bits of foreign travel, you know, just a little bit here, a little bit there, rather than taking one big holiday, we're kind of breaking it up into different places and it's good. And I was, I got on a one of those boats and um, it's like a big bus really on the water and uh, I only just got there and the driver's there and I wasn't sure we were on the right bus so I kind of leaned in, my best... Um, signore, and he looked around like, oh, an Englishman obviously, but he's learning the language, so he looked at me, see, sì? and I asked him the name of the place we were going, and he, he nodded, and then I said, uh, merci beaucoup, <laughs> oh, which was kind of like, and then he just looked at me like, oh. and carried on, because it turned out I wasn't I I felt out of place at that time. I wasn't in the right place. I didn't understand the language, and he didn't understand what I was doing on his boat. But (laughs) do you ever feel like that, kind of out of place? Like even when you're coming into church or into a church building, you can, you know, it's meant to be, church is meant to be a place where we help everybody to feel welcome, we want to do that, but actually it's a forbidding place for people to come into from the outside and come in, in, into any kind of church setting, isn't it? Most of us, lots of us could probably remember, you know, unless you've kind of been brought up in church, at some point you were sort of brave enough to come along, maybe somebody invited you, that's usually how people come. Most people don 't just turn up at the church, but if somebody invites them and says, "Hey, will you come along with me then people do that and uh, and you know, but it 's possible even people could be in church a long, long time and never really feel like they, they fit in and um, you know we don 't want that to be people 's experience at Ivy, but we know it can be the case and um, Last week, if you were here, you might remember I was praying about this idea of, of a house and um, like the house being your life, and we kind of went on this uh, time where we, we invited Jesus to come into every every room of the house, and it was like looking in the past and the present and the future, and that he was in there, and his, his holy Spirit was there just to to cleanse out to clear out, to get rid of the rubbish and to be able to bring in the good stuff that he wants. who was here for that quite a few people great and as I was thinking about this this In the week, this picture of a house kept coming back to me. Actually, there's one particular room in the house I was thinking about, which was the dining room. Because the dining room table is actually, in terms of the kingdom of God and what God wants to get accomplished, the most dangerous bit of furniture in your house. Maybe you don't even have a dining room. But um, where do you tend to eat your meals these days, mostly? Just turn to the people around you. Where do you tend to mostly eat your meals? So right now, we're, right now, we are kind of blessed enough that we actually have a dining room, and we have a, a, a dining room table, and it's quite, it's quite a big one, but then there's times when actually Zoe's like, oh, we need to get a bigger table, and I'm like, it'd have to be a snooker table, it'd have to be huge or something if you'd be able to do that, because the table just keeps getting bigger, and over the years it's got bigger and bigger as we've kind of, families grown, and also we have more and more friends coming around, and... And, um, you know, some people become like family. A little while ago, there was an American writer, a theologian called Leonard Sweet, who I'm a friend with on Facebook, and he put on his Facebook page the other week this. I'll read it. It's quite a long thing, but it's good. He says, we are eating out more and more and eating in less and less. We eat, this is America, but I don't know what it would be like for here. We eat one in every five meals in our car. One in four of us eat at least one fast food meal every day. U.S. households spend roughly the same amount per week on fast food as on groceries. Sixty years ago, the average dinner time was 90 minutes, today it's less than 12 minutes. And that's when we do eat dinner together, which is less and less frequently. The majority of families report eating a single meal together less than five days a week. And even then, our dinners together are mostly sat in front of the TV. No wonder the average parent spends only 38.5 minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their children. It's because we're losing the table. This was brought home recently to the Sweet family when one of our kids invited a friend to spend some days with us over the summer. After the friend left, I commented that our visitor seemed uneasy at times during his stay in our house. Was anything wrong? I said. He did feel a bit uncomfortable, my daughter said. Was it something we did? I asked Sort of, she answered. It's that he's never eaten with his family at a table. So he wasn't sure how to act or what to do. And he Leonard Sweet put, What? He's like he's never eaten with his family at a table. And, you know, I wonder what's your experience of that? Maybe growing up we all have different sort of family backgrounds, but I would imagine there's a lot of people who've had that experience of kind of take your meal and just go to a, a room and, and do life on your own. And even more and more young people are, are kind of just spending their life apart from the family, off in some other room in, with virtual people or whatever that means, rather than connecting in community. And what is family anyway, when we talk about family? Because actually there's all kinds of ways that society is wanting to redefine family. But that's nothing new because actually God did that a long time ago. Jesus redefined the family too. So often we think of family, we think of nuclear family. Mum and dad, 2.4 kids and a dog or a cat if it's a weird family. (laughs) But Jesus taught us to broaden our idea of family. A theologian called Stanley Howard Rice writes this, if you can see it. Very bad font. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be made part of a new community in which the family is reconstituted. We are all children. But now a community has been established in which we are all called to be parents, brothers and sisters, to and for one another. How beautiful is that? Remember Jesus said that, didn't he? When some people came and said... Um, you know, your mother and your father, your mother and your, and your brothers are outside, and he said, "Who am I, mother, and my brothers?" It's like these guys. This is my mother and my brother. This is my family, the ones who who listen to what I say and do it. And we're in this series looking at the kingdom of God. It's been started in January. I never know when it's going to finish yet, but it's all looking at actually the kingdom of God. In some ways, the kingdom of God redefines family because we start praying our father in heaven and then before long we're thinking well what kind of a father is he and what kind of a family does he have now that from his kingdom perspective and you know I want you to think about the people sitting around you maybe some of them maybe you don't know them at all the people sitting around you maybe you um, you kind of failed the test a moment ago and you, you were like, almost oh, really sorry but I forgot your name five minutes after we uh, were introduced to each other. But can you imagine a world where the people sitting around you were not just faces but family? That's what God dreams for us here at Ivy. God wants to help us to move towards that kingdom dream. And I believe that one of the things that he's doing in mixing us up during this summer, and as, we, as the Kingsway, the Cine World um, episode, the adventure there closes, and we start to move out and meet in different ways in different places through the summer into an unknown future in some ways to us, but not to God. I believe part of what he's doing is he's like, let's mix up that family this summer so that we can get to know more people. Because it can be something where by the end of it, you could feel like, oh, well, it'll all get mixed up and I won't know anybody. Or actually, it can be a great opportunity for you to get to know some people that you didn't know before. And actually, you might find that some of your best friends and new family come out of this season together. Because God can change us like that. God can transform our hearts and our minds. When we decide like him, we're going to truly care about those people. Imagine, imagine that that person who you were talking to before actually was your brother, or was your sister, or was your mother. But, you know, of course, you're going to know them. And this is the way that, that Jesus wants to redefine who we are. You know, would you care for that person if it was really your mother? Would you, if you found out that your brother was in trouble, would you help them? If it was actually your sister, would you have any time for them? Or would they, again, just be a name? And we're going to have great opportunities for this in the weeks and the months ahead when we learn to extend hospitality to each other because it's going to mean that we get inconvenienced. It's going to mean we get pushed around. But the word hospitality, most often translated in the New Testament, hospitality literally means love of a stranger. That's what hospitality is. It's not just having your friends around. That's not hospitality. It's love of of a stranger, hospitality is the practice where we open our lives, open our hearts, open ourselves up to another person, and hospitality is how we can build those stronger, beautiful relationships, which is God's dream for us, because hospitality turns strangers into family, hospitality is meant to turn strangers into family, and so in the kingdom of God, family is what God says it is, isn't it? What does God say it is? God's, God's plan for family is church. See, for God, church was never about a building. Church was never meant to be a building that people just came into and went out from and where you went in like some temple that you did your religious function or your duty for that week and then that was done and then you uh, went off. So um, if you've been used to, to going to Kingsway for example in the mornings and then we end up as we're not doing from July going in there into Parr's Wood and we're stopping meeting in the cinemas in July that does not mean that the church has ceased to exist does it? Why? Because we are the church. We didn't cease to exist. The church isn't a building, it's not a place, it's not an event, it's not even a meeting, although we meet with God and with other people. But the church is the people of God on mission in the world. That's the church. And the people of God were always meant to be his family. It's the family that God always wanted to be able to have. Because he's a father and he wants family. He wants everybody to be welcome in that family. So that nobody feels out of place. So that everybody has got a place where they belong. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a group, a church in a place called Ephesus. And he explains there what it means to be church. In fact he probably says more in Ephesians about what the church is meant to be than any other place in the Bible. And tonight we're going to just focus on a verse with massive implications for all of us about that, especially, like I say, is in this season where he mixes us up as a church in a year of acceleration. And when it's accelerating, you might feel like, well, it's all going so fast, I don't know where I am. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. But God wants to reassure you tonight by answering some more fundamental questions even than that. And when you get these settled, they'll help you to settle. It's it's just one verse. The Apostle Paul tells us two very important things that we all really need to know. Who we were and who we are. First of all, who we were. Look at the screen and read that out loud, please. So then. (coughs) Aliens? What's he talking about? Aliens? It's like martians and no he's not talking about that obviously he's talking about feeling like an outsider feeling like a cultural outsider the idea like I said is like me in Venice it's like being in a land that is so different and a bit weird where there people don't drive cars <laughs> and um, you know the, 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 the it's just a strange different place everybody speaks a different language to me And um, it can feel uncomfortable, it can feel unsettling, can't it? To be a stranger, to feel like an alien, to an outsider. And as Paul writes these words, this is exactly how a non-Jewish person who's trying to find out about what Christians believe and be a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, would feel like. Because for centuries, the religious elite, the Jewish people, had made anybody who was not a Jew, a Gentile, feel like a second-class citizen with regard to God. They were like we're the insiders, you're the outsiders. We know the rules, we know what matters to God and by the way you don't matter to God because we're the special ones, we're the chosen people and Jesus was a Jew and his first followers were a Jew and they strictly observed various religious cultures and customs and, and they were separate from all of the nations around them and then Jesus dies and, and is risen again and he sends out his, his disciples but they don't go very far. Because actually they're they're Jewish and they stay pretty much in Jerusalem until persecution comes. And then scatters them all over the place. And everywhere they go they start to connect with people who are not Jewish. And some of them become Christians. And then you've got to work it out. How are we going to incorporate and include these people who are not like us anymore? People like these ones in Ephesus that Paul's writing to in that church. Because they were not Jewish But they were Jesus followers and they were in this different kind of a community. So Paul's saying here, he's admitting, we were once spiritually all aliens, foreigners, strangers to God, estranged from God, apart from God. It's one of the main ideas of the Bible that that that's what happens because we're we're sinners, we're separate, we're spiritually homeless. That's who we were. But then Paul continues to talk about who we are and tells us who we are. Let's read it together from the top. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, his ekos, Greek word, his group, his little, his family, his great big family it's like uh, in those days they kind of, you know, if you've um, ever been in, in some of these Mediterranean cultures family is a lot wider than just a few it's like everybody who comes to the party is family they sit out in the evenings don't they and it's like drink the wine and everybody's, everybody's auntie and uncle and everybody's just there that's what an ecos is and this is the word that's used there your fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household you're, you're welcome at the table you're part of the party two images he says we're not strangers anymore we are fellow citizens and we are members first image is citizenship if you've been in this series through the year we've been talking a lot about this about heaven and about how we're meant to be citizens of a different kingdom how therefore we get rights as kingdom people to belong to a new country fellow citizens of where of heaven that's now our home And like I say, you've probably been to a different place, different language, different customs. In Italy, I only know about six Italian words. Pizza and pasta are two of them. (laughs) Um, And I couldn't figure out what the people were saying. But then we get back from holiday and you land, don't you? And what do we always say? It's nice to go away, but it's nice to come home. Uh, You're at Manchester Airport and you think to yourself, this is great, I can understand everybody. Unless they're from Wigan. (laughs) And Paul says, if you've become a follower of Jesus, no matter where you go, you are a citizen of heaven. Wherever you go, you've got that citizenship. So I think we've got a picture of just like British citizenship just to help us. You know, there's a, a process that needs to take place. Nobody's, isn't it, in a sense, this isn't that you're naturally born a citizen. You become a citizen, the Bible says, because you, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. When that happens, it's like now you become part of a different nation, a different group of people on the earth. So after that, next one is that we become members of God's household. I want to spend a bit more time on this second picture, the household. We're members of God's household. Because Paul moves from a, a geographic picture, if you like, to a family picture. God is a king, and he's king over a country, but he's also a father at the head of a family. And you want to picture him at the head of a table. There's something more intimate about that kind of language, isn't there? It's like, oh, you were a stranger, but welcome home, welcome in. Take a seat, be at the party. This is where strangers are welcome and where strangers become family. In a family, you sit together at the table. You get uncomfortably close to each other sometimes. You share each other's things, whether you want to or not. We used to sing a song in our family, which was about sharing, to make the children share in a way even when they didn't want to share. It was like psychological torture. Basically, to make them share things. You eat together in a, in a family. At times you work together. You let real people in your real life, not just the version of the world out there that you want to put on, because actually it's in family people see who you really are. Family is where you learn to forgive, therefore. I'm talking about a good family. Some people have never had this. The good news is you've got one now. You're part of something. Brothers and sisters in a family care for one another. They're loved. They don't have to earn their place. You never heard somebody say, what family are you part of? Oh, how did you earn your place in that family? Well, this is who I am. I'm in that family. Yeah, but what did you do to deserve your place in that family? I didn't do anything to deserve being in that family. That's the kind of picture that's been spoken of here. So what does it mean to be members of God's household? Three things. Number one, it means we're related by love. Family is related by what? Blood. So are we. In God's family, we're related by the blood of Jesus Christ. The same blood that was shed for me was shed for you. And the person sitting next to you. And blood is thicker than water. So we are related by blood. Love is the foundation. It was was love that made that blood be shed. Love is the foundation of God's house. Love is the walls of God's house. Love is the floor of God's house. Love is the nails that hold God's house together. His household is held together by love. Another one of Jesus' first followers, the Apostle John, wrote this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. God is love, and he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Say must. Must Also, anyone who loves God, is this an option? Must also love their brother and sister. If you're not willing to do that, God says, don't pretend that you love me. And that's hard, isn't it? Because to be honest with you, I find God pretty easy to love, but I find people sometimes less so. Not looking at anybody in particular. If you're not willing to love other people, like a brother and sister, I mean, actually, this, of course, should extend into families, but then it goes beyond that. If we're saying, like, God has redefined family, we should love one another like this. God is love, and love binds the family together. And this isn't, I'm not talking about this rom-com kind of love, it's all about feelings. This is not about how you feel, it's about, how you choose this is not this is a decision to love not just a feeling to love at times you won't feel like it at times I don't feel like loving it's the kind of love that we got from God, because God is love. is the kind of love that went to a cross for us. Real love is costly. Real love is a, is a verb. Real love is sacrificial. Real love gives away. Real love means that I lay down my preferences and my comfort for the other person, for my new family. John goes on to say, this is the kind of love. It means that we lay down our lives for one another's, like Jesus did for us because we're related by love. And number two, being part of God's household also means we're accepted by grace. We're accepted by grace. We all come from different places and backgrounds. I love that about our church. We've got such a great mixture of all kinds of different people with so many different nationalities and people, all kinds of different stories and struggles as well. But we're all accepted by grace into the same family why because we're all on the same journey we're all finding our way back to God we're all trying to find our place and fulfill our purpose around here and we might be at different points in that journey and you might have been walking that journey a little bit longer than somebody else or you might be just starting on the same journey that's okay because here at Ivy the way we see it is you can belong before you believe some places some churches it might be if you believe all these different things then we'll probably let you belong But actually, the way Jesus did it was that he had all kinds of people who followed him for about three years who didn't seem to get it much at all. And he said, you're disciples. Even though they didn't have much of a clue about who he was, and what they were for and what this Christianity stuff was. So therefore, we think it's okay if some people just come along to the church and you're here for the journey and you're checking it out and you're checking us out and you're trying to find out, is this real? And the way they often, and it's fair, people will find out whether or not they think he's real is if we're real with each other. And they'll find out about his love if we love. And the reason that so often the church has been so bad at this is because we've been really bad at the horizontal stuff, while talking a lot about the vertical. And people have said, really? You can belong here. You are accepted here because it's a family. And that's what happens in a good family. You don't lose your place in a family. You can't. Joel's sitting at the back. He's my son no matter what. He's always going to be my son. He's always going to be in my family. He is family. And this is God's family where nobody's perfect, but all things are possible. So everybody's welcome. And those of us who made that decision to put our trust in Jesus Christ, something happens in that moment, we become part of the family of God and we know it's only by grace. Only grace can make that possible. And we're saved by grace, we live by grace and so we extend that same grace to other people. In, the, in another letter, Paul writes, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you To bring praise to God. Romans 15 verse 7. See the moment you decide to become part of this family and say yes to that, you become part of something so much bigger. You're part of this big family called the church. You're here and you're part of Ivy Church which is bigger than that. We become part of something called New Thing which has got a, a vision to plant loads of churches all around the world. And we're part of this incredible, messy, huge thing. The global family called the Church of Jesus Christ. Where Dad says... You kids better learn to get on in my house. And finally, being a member in God's household also means we stick together forever. Some people have a lot of pain and hurt about the whole talk about family. It's hard sometimes as a speaker in our culture to be able to talk about family because we've had so much pain and hurt around even the word, but whatever it's meant for you before, good or bad, there are no perfect families. But now you can have a perfect dad and be part of a good family full of imperfect people. It's a great family because of who, the da- of who the dad is. And he's the greatest. And a good family sticks together, no matter what. A good family gets each other through anything. A good family believes the best about each other. A good family speaks well of each other. We fight for one another. We protect one another. We look out for one another. Whatever life throws at us. I don't have to tell you, life isn't an easy journey, but it's way harder if you try and go it along. We need each other every step of the way. We all need family to encourage us, to challenge us, to cheer us on. People who will pray for us in the lowest valleys and celebrate with us on the mountaintops. Sticking together can be the hardest thing to do. Can't it? In families. It's so easy to get offended, to get upset, to walk away, to do all of that. But good families don't just happen. Neither do bad ones. Now, to the messed-up ones, it's choices, it's decisions, it's patterns of relating, good and bad. This is why we have to practice loving each other. We're we'll going to talk in a moment about a couple of practices, how we can practice loving like this. Look at the people around you. Really do it. Use your neck. It works. We were all once foreigners and strangers. If you're new here. And you're just sort of feeling like you're getting to know people or whatever, it's your first time here, it's okay. Everybody here, we were all once foreigners, we were all once aliens and strangers, but now we're not. Now we can be family, now we can be members together of God's household. So if you're able to stand, please stand up. Extend your hands in a Frankenstein-like manner. Then, turn to the person next to you and put your hands upon their shoulders everybody should have their hands on somebody else's shoulders the music is going to go on maestro in a moment that's it facing all one way that's good yeah make make it like that it's fine yeah yeah on your shoulders because now we're going to have a little massage little little shoulders that's it get the thumbs in get the thumbs going a bit of music please maestro for this bit of a... yeah. Okay, we're nearly done. The band are going to come up in a minute. I want to give you three practical takeaways. Ready? How do we become more like the family that that God wants us to be? Take a seat. How do we become the kind of people who relate to one another with love, accept one another by grace and stick together no matter what? This is where practice makes perfect. This is where the practices of hospitality come in. Remember, hospitality, what does it mean? Love of a... To love a stranger so that they're no longer a stranger. Hospitality turns strangers into family. so we're going to get specific about it. How can we practice hospitality with one one another? Number one, be aware. Say be aware. Hospitality starts by being aware, noticing people. Every day we interact with people. Schools, when you're at work, in our communities. But how many times do we actually notice people? Hospitality goes beyond surface politeness to genuine interest. I'll say that again. Hospitality goes beyond surface politeness to genuine interest, to seeing other people. It's like taking a moment and going, oh, I recognize you, I see you. Apparently in Africa there's a greeting in one of, the, one of the, the, the tribal tongues that is that. It actually says, it says, I see you. That's what it means. And you're actually seeing the other person. And that means you listen as well, if you're gonna see them, you listen. You remember their names. I, I, to be honest with you, there's nothing more offensive. I'm sure there are things more offensive than this, but it's fairly offensive to me when people. Have, and I've had this. People say, "You say," and I say, "Oh, hello, I'm Anthony." And they say, "Oh, don't tell me your name. I'll only forget." I've had people say that, and it's just like, "Wow, really? Am I am I that low in your estimation? That you just you you've decided?" you won't even bother trying to remember my name. It's like, am I, so, I mean, how does that make somebody feel? You know, you know I'm, I'm good with names. You know why I'm good with names? Because I try. Because I listen, because I say it back, because I remember it. I make the effort, and it is an effort, to remember people's names. Being aware sometimes means that we're going to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced, doesn't it? We're going to let, we're going to let them in, and that, that means that it puts me out. I'm not very good at that sometimes. Hands up if you're not good at that sometimes. There's only me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't like sometimes to be inconvenienced by other people because it's like, well, I'm just doing this at the moment. And, and, and actually, even when I'm with them sometimes, what I've got to get better at, and realise, is, is to silence my own voice to be able to listen to them, actually two voices, the external one and the internal one, because sometimes I can be listening and going, and it's like going, they might as well, not you obviously, when we're talking, number two, be real, hospitality is about being real, just opening up our lives as they actually are, as they really are, People are looking for that. It's okay. It's not about building a particular image. Not the Facebook and the Instagram you. The real you is who we're talking about, being able to share with other people. Because if you share that real you, you'll get their real you. If you just share the fake you, what will you get back? You'll get their fake. As followers of Jesus, we don't need to do the fake. We don't need to put the filter on it. We can just be us. How fantastic is that? To be able to be you. We don't have to have perfect lives. We don't have to have spotless tablecloths. We don't have to give gourmet meals to be able to open up our home and our lives to other people, do we? Number three, be open. Open to everybody. Hospitality is not just about having our friends around. Jesus said that. He said, when you have a party, don't do it like that. He said, well, you can do it like that, but you won't get any reward from your father in heaven. Hospitality extends friendship to strangers. So people from different races, different backgrounds, different economic situations, different sexualities, different beliefs are welcome and not just strangers to us. Jesus always remembered the people society forgot. That's what love looks like. Love goes first. And so Jesus went out to the poor and the sick and the refugees and the lonely and he's the perfect example of hospitality by giving himself in friendship to some of the most forgotten people in society. So hospitality means you open up your life to other people. Whatever your house looks like, your housing situation at the moment, whether you eat or find China or chip papers doesn't matter, does it? We don't have to be the smartest, we don't have to be a candidate for the bake-off. You don't need to know everything in the Bible to be able to help somebody find Jesus in your home by connecting to you. I challenged the whole church last year to intentionally invite somebody to share a meal somebody else over the summer. I aimed, I think it was at 200 homes. That was the, the dream that I had. And I think in the end, there was about 50 that did it. And to be honest with you, I was disappointed by that. But I think we can have another go this summer. And I don't think that the church needs to organise it. I don't think it's something that the, the church staff need to arrange people to go and see. I think what needs to happen is that we decide to do it. We just decide to be that kind of a person who opens up our home and has somebody else around. And another fantastic way that this works too, we saw about it before in the video and you can talk to Jo about it and she's got some leaflets. It's a unique and very powerful thing that you can do and there's a range of ways you can be involved in helping with Safe Families for Children. It's brilliant that 50 people at Ivy are saying that they're going to be doing this, but I'm sure we've got more people who can offer hospitality in some way to families in crisis. If Safe Families is something that interests you, please go and talk to Joe right after the service. And and there's a training day right here, next Saturday, this Saturday, the 20th, 9.30 to 1.30pm. and you know, anybody can do this. There's ways that we can do that if, we, if we'll put ourselves out for a stranger. So, not everybody's it meant to go to another country as a missionary, but we can all invite another person to our home. And that's how strangers become family. Is that okay? Good. Should we stand up? No massage. Don't worry. Shake yourself. The band are going to lead us in some worship. Lord, I pray that now as we are worshipping you, that the words that I've spoken, the things that I've said that are from you, would go down into our hearts and would bring the transformation that you need uh, to make in us. We don't just want to be hearers of your word and not doers, and I pray that you'd help us to be able to think of ways that we can um, put into practice the things that you've spoken to us about. So we don't just have, have good ideas that we don't do anything about, but that we have um, commands, Challenges, invitations and opportunities from you to be more like you in the world, in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to Ivychurch.org/media.